Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you. Coming to the close of yet another week. Bernie's taking your calls. 1850 333 103 texts and uh, WhatsApps to 0862 103 103. I suggest you WhatsApp us our text message service. We've been having problems all morning uh, with it and it seems still seems to be a bit problematic. So if you need to make contact with us, the best way by text is to do it on WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Email is also available, Patricia, at c103.ie. And I am looking for people's thoughts on President Michael D. Higgins. And uh, we don't often see President Michael D. Higgins needing to come out public to make a statement on something because he has a tendency since he got elected as president of this country to always know the right thing to do. And it's very rare, for example, that he ever slips up, that he needs to come out and defend something that he's done or hasn't done. And I think that's why I'm particularly interested to see him in the middle of what is now a little bit of a media storm with accusations that he is snubbing an event that Britain's Queen Elizabeth is going to attend. And I don't think you would never use, since Michael D. Higgins became president, I don't think he's ever ever been accused of snubbing uh, anyone and the event that he's accused of not attending and snubbing the Queen is to do with the commemoration of the partition of this country which then led to the establishment of Northern Ireland. Now it emerged just this week that President Higgins will not be attending event. Now it's an event that's been organised by church leaders and it's scheduled to go ahead in County Armagh next month. But last night the President decided to come out and go public and give his reasons as to why he's not going to attend. And he is at pains to point out that something that was 
a religious event and really should be a religious event, he says now, has suddenly turned into and become a political statement. But he was at pains to point out to the media last night, I am not snubbing anyone. I'm just not part of it. Why? Because I don't agree with it. He said, I'm not part of anybody else's boycott of any other events in Northern Ireland. He said that an invitation is not an injunction or it's not an instruction. And he also took issue with the wording of the invitation. When the invitation arrived on his doorstep, it referred to him as President of the Republic of Ireland. He said they and I'm assuming he means unionists, keep referring to me as President of the Republic of Ireland. He said, I am the President of Ireland. And he's very proud to be the President of Ireland. And now he was speaking, he's over in Rome at the moment, he's, uh, he's meeting uh, Pope Francis today. So it was the media obviously tracked him down in Rome to ask him about it. And he said he... Uh, went public, he said, I'm not going to attend the event. And he said, the reason I'm not going to attend it is it has become political. If it was just a religious event, he probably would have been okay about it. But he said, this has turned into a political event. He said, what had once been an invitation to a religious service, or he said, to a religious event, has in fact become a political statement. What began, he said, as a religious service of reconciliation is now the celebrating or he said the marking, I think is the word that should be used. It's marking the partition of Ireland and therefore then the creation of Northern Ireland. He said that's a very different thing to a religious service of reconciliation. The president said his sole reason for not attending uh, is also in relation to the title of the event. He's, and he also pointed out that he does have discretion as to what events he thinks are appropriate for him to attend. So obviously he gets lots and lots of invitations as President of uh, Ireland but it is very much his decision if he feels something is not appropriate for a head of state then he he can't, nobody can, the government can't say to him you must attend or you must not attend. It's up to him. He does have that uh, discretion. He also said it has. he's been troubled about the event for a long time. So this wasn't a snap decision. He's been soul searching as to should he go or should he not go? And then he finally made the decision this week. No, this is becoming too much of a political statement. So he's made the decision not to attend. He said, I am completely open to anyone in Northern Ireland of any unionist tradition completely celebrating that in, a, in any way that they like. He called on people to now move on without gratuitously insulting each other. He's just such I love the way he uses words. The president also criticised the DUP for failing to attend events in Northern Ireland whenever he, as President of Ireland, is there. He said, it's a bit much now, to be quite frank with you. He said, I've gone up to Northern Ireland to take part in events, say, in Queen's University or events in the University of Ulster and so forth. He said, and there hasn't been very often a great traffic down from the DUP when I'm attending these events. And he said, they are the very same people who are now criticising at me. So we're asking the question this morning, is our President of Ireland, is he right not to attend this event? Because, you know, as he says, he, he doesn't go as far as to say, he did say celebrating and then he changed it to marking. It's marking an event 
that brought partition to this country. But then the DUP Assembly men- member, Peter Weir, he has come out and his, one of his reasons that he feels that President Michael D. Higgins should be attending the uh, event, he says that he should go to show Ireland's commitment to reconciliation and progress. Now, I know Michael D. Higgins says he's going to his office, will respond to Peter Weir, who has written to the President saying that he should be going to show Ireland's commi- commitment to reconciliation and pro- progress. And I really think as President Michael D. Higgins, I think he's done an awful lot in the past when it comes to reconciliation and peace and progress. So I don't think he can be taken to task for that. But anyway, your thoughts are welcomed on that. Are you with the President? Is he right not to attend are, should he go, should he, as the DUP Assembly member says, by going, he's showing his commitment to reconciliation and progress in this uh, country. Michael has already been on to us to say, Patricia, I admire President Michael D. Higgins for doing what I feel is the right thing and not going to north of Ar- the north of Ireland for this political bash under the guise of a religious service. Michael D is a very capable gentleman and it's very difficult to pull any political stunt on him. He is well capable and will never step out of line. You can rest assured that there will be massive celebrations that could then lead to possible violence. So yes, I agree 100% with our President. Well done to him. Thanking you and that's from Michael by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Uh, Ed, when I was just doing the piece about Michael D. Higgins and asking uh, for people's views, is he right to make the decision not to go? Ed said, Patricia, you should have played the song Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. That would have been quite appropriate and dedicated it to Michael D. Higgins who has decided to stay rather than uh, go. And thank you to Colette in Kilworth. Firstly, thank you for your nice words about the programme and my award yesterday. I appreciate that. On President Michael D. Higgins says, Colette, my mother, God rest her, used to always say, if in doubt get out I've lived with that little piece of advice when it comes to decisions or situations and I've done it all my life and believe me it's never left me down it, if it was right no need to think about it well done that's a good piece of advice that your mother um, uh, had if in doubt get out or if in doubt leave it out is something that will be said to us here on the radio and it's kind of a little bit like and I try and live by that as well. Do you know when you've got a gut instinct? I mean, to hear Michael D. Higgins say when he was speaking to the media yesterday that he, it has been, the event has been troubling him for quite some time. So he had reservations really from the very, very, and I don't know how long ago it was that he got the invitation, but I imagine something that is scheduled that is going to have Queen Elizabeth attending would have been, the planning would have been many months in advance. So I'm assuming that Michael D. Higgins would have got the invite many months ago and it's been troubling him. So his gut instinct was telling him there's something wrong with this and there's a reason why I shouldn't go. And he certainly is going with his gut. So a good piece of advice from Colette's mum. Thank you for that, uh, Colette. Hi, uh, Patricia. I agree 100% with our president. Well done to him for standing his ground. I now have a newfound admiration for him. This is political. So why would our president of Ireland celebrate the breakup of Ireland? Because Ultimately, that's what they're asking him to do while they're saying it's a religious event. 
but what they're asking him to do is to mark and commemorate and in some way celebrate partition happening in this country and a couple of calls in Ita in Mallow says Michael D was right to turn down this invitation because he then would be accepting Britain taking over the six counties of Northern Ireland and Dony in Newmarket saying the very same thing President Michael D is right Britain has no right to hold on to the six counties in Northern Ireland keep your comments coming you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 our Bernie's taking your calls at 1850 333 103 Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 Now Culture Minister Catherine Martin has said people should have the option to drink and dance until 6am in the morning ahead of reforms of our alcohol licensing laws which are due next year. Some people feel our current laws are archaic. To find out how publicans would react to this news I'm joined by Michael O'Donovan Chair of the Cork Branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Firstly do you think our licensing laws are archaic? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> They've been some of the laws are over 100 years old. There has been some attachments onto the original law during the years. Uh, the last one, notable one really was 2008 um, when the liquor licensing laws changed. But they've always just been, as I said, attachments onto the original law. Um, so it is time, looking. we're very welcome on aspects of this. And we've put forward proposals to Catherine Martin and I suppose uh, Minister McAtee um, when she'll come back in November. We've, we've submitted proposals earlier in the year uh, when this came to light. So we'd be hopeful of some changes in the licensing law requirements. So does the old law sort of almost need to be ripped up and really do you need to start from fresh? Well, I, I wouldn't go, uh, I suppose, that far. Like the, what they've proposed in the Liquor Licensing Laws Act of 2021, which the Cabinet approved the heads of uh, on Wednesday, uh, we'll now go into more detail on it. And like some aspects, like for, you know, the nighttime economy is, the, is what they're looking at. And part of the nighttime economy back in 2008 in, the, in that act, the fee for, uh, you know, a special exemption order that any bar that wants to operate after normal hours at night time was increased from €200 to €410. But it's the, the associated costs also went up with it because you've court costs. Um, and one of the biggest things is the fire officer requirements when you go into court to apply for those uh, special exemption orders. The, the, every, every month you go in to apply, you might have a different stipulation by the fire officer which you need to meet and obviously that's costly uh, not in all instances but in some instances the fire officer will require uh, work to be done on your premises um, to meet the re- his requirements for those nights and then you have the different attachments you might have security requ- requirements it's all costly and because of that a lot of operators left the night time um, you know uh, going late into the night so also the application side of that, you have to apply to your local superintendent, you have to apply to the courts, uh, you have to wait for your date, you have to go into court, the inspector has to go in, um, you have to go before the judge. So it, it's, a, it's a procedure that we feel could be done nowadays via email. Yeah, um, it all sounds very cumbersome. 
it is it takes time and like the then if you have a festival or something you get a general exemption order and like they're more costly and you've stamped duty on top of them again you have to go through the same procedure you have to advertise in a newspaper again costing money um, this could all be done you know via email um, and like it could be done without the Gardaí it's taking up far too much time of Gardaí so we feel these aspects of it could be changed uh, in regard to licensing laws uh, the times I know people saw the headline well, I think yeah, I think that's the one that everyone is focusing on, and it is all to do with this nighttime uh, e- e- economy, and a lot of the focus is on the extension of the opening hours. I mean, ha- as publicans, how would you react to later opening hours? Well, well, can I say it, it's 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 only really for those that apply for the special exemption orders that these laws will change. Um, it won't be affecting uh, what we understand the. say the normal uh, public and and his ordinary licence, his hours aren't really being looked at. It's those that provide music, uh, which in turn would be the late night uh, venues. So it's taking them at the moment, the law of the land is, that they can be open until 2.30 and then out for 3 o'clock. And what they're proposing is putting another two hours on that. Now, will that happen? I think that's what the proposal is at the moment. It'll probably be a middle ground somewhere around, uh, I'd expect, you know, that that might be taken to half as three out for four o'clock because you have to remember staff as well. Mm. Um, staff working those hours, you know, if the premises closes at four o'clock, it's probably going to be six o'clock that they get out if, if it's, if it's uh, and get home, you know. So finding staff to work those hours will be a challenge in itself. So it, uh, it'll be difficult. But look, I suppose the licensing part of it, if we can get that right, then more operators might move back into the nighttime economy and work even until half past two, three o'clock in the morning as it is now. And I think that would give a big boost to the entertainment sector, DJs, bands, etc., with more places being able to operate uh, at, at that level. If they did extend the opening hours, and again, it's all just proposals at the moment, would it help with antisocial behaviour if there was a staggered closing time? Um, look, we, we, we don't know. There's different evidence from the UK where p- places that go all night um, it brings its own trouble as well because people get more intoxicated even though it's managed, you, you could say, when they come out onto the street at different times. Um, but look, it studies would have to be done and looked at best practice across Europe but you know I suppose the one that we have to look at probably is across the water to the UK because their culture and ours would be of a similar ink to to consuming alcohol and look we've seen different practices in the UK where they all close together where they're all staggered you know, there's not a huge difference, I'm led to believe, between them. So uh, I don't know is the honest answer yeah, to that, Patricia. Yeah. But opening hours of pubs, you're saying they would remain the same? That, that's our understanding, that it's more the nighttime, the late night venues that they're looking at. And I suppose, look, it's probably more, you know, big town where there's a, a nightclub or a late night venue or cities that this is more uh, aimed at than, you know, your, your rural pub where <clears throat> they'll be doing their normal hours. And look, maybe there might be a proposal in it that if your local pub has a busy night or something like that, that uh, if they wanted to have the opportunity to uh, go later, that that could be looked at. But I think the initial part of it will be just uh, the late night venues with these special exemption orders. I was reading yesterday in the paper, there was talks of a late night food market in Cork. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, it's a proposal that's been on the cards for a while. And look, anything that can... uh, 
that can, I suppose, bring footfall into the city and do something different uh, would be welcome. Look, in the Glow Festival at Christmas, we have the food market up to nine o'clock, but I think this would be proposed um, something like from nine o'clock till 11, 12 o'clock. So um, I suppose it would be key to where it would be to the success of it. But it's a, it's a proposal at the moment. And look, it's something new, something I suppose we're in Cork, we, we were talking about being the food capital of Ireland. So it's something new and it's something to look at. And uh, I suppose it would be great for the artists and producers if something like this could be done. God, when you mention the Glow Festival, it'd be great to have Glow back this year, won't it? We really missed it last year. Oh, we did, yeah. And look, look, the Jazz Festival now is five weeks away. Yeah. Uh, we're working with uh, the bands and Diageo. Um, and look, uh, it's it's great to be in the position. Now, we have a bit of uncertainty for the question marks of what happens on October 22nd. But um, look, it's it's great to be talking and have these issues and trying to work through them the last uh, two weeks. Um, and again, Ed Sheeran this morning is great news for the for Cork and the whole Munster region. We've been playing in Toman Park as well, so it's positive. Looking forward, yeah, and that's what we need. We need a bit. Uh, we certainly need the positivity. And Camir, uh, how are publicans getting on since the lifting of restrictions? How is it all going, Michael? Um, I suppose it's been challenging. You know, uh, it's been well flagged. Staffing issues have been a big, um, a big issue. But also, I think uh, outdoors has been a huge success, and the bars that have put in, you know, really invested into it, have really seen a good return this summer. And those that are only indoors have had a challenging time for the last five, six weeks that they've been open because uh, people are a bit hesitant still about coming indoors. We've seen, you know, the from doing Zoom meetings with uh, members around the city and county. It has been challenging for indoors, but I suppose as the weather changes now, uh, we've seen a big uptake really in the last two weeks of indoors. The first four weeks was was really slow, but hopefully people will get more confident and see as restrictions are being lifted and we're at the next stage now, next Monday, the 20th of May, with offices coming back into city and towns, that hopefully that will drive a bit of footfall for lunch and, you know, after-work drinks and things like that. So, Excuse me. It's uh, it, it's it's beginning to look a bit better than what it was the first four weeks. How's your own pub doing? Oh, it, like like anywhere else, it's been challenging. You know, uh, same thing. You know, the say our our older locals in the afternoon are a bit uh, a bit hesitant. They where before they used to have two or three drinks. Now it's maybe one drink, and they're still a bit. You know, if a, if another group comes in, they kind of tend to move off. Um, but, you know, their confidence is coming back. I, I see that this week and last week when they see it's been managed and people are kept apart. So hopefully um, by the time we get to October 22nd, things will be in a lot better yeah, position. It's, yeah, I, I do think that confidence thing, and it was something we'd spoken about here on the radio and predicted it, and you could see it from texts and calls that were coming in from listeners. People are just, it's, you know, we've been 18 months been told to keep away from people and suddenly we're asking people to get together again so it's, it's a confidence thing That's that it's just to build up people's confidence It is, it's to build it up and make sure that it's in a safe environment at the moment and uh, and as I said hopefully by the time we get to October 22nd and Jazz uh, people will be will be in a far better place and understand and uh, will be willing to come out and socialise again you, you may, you've mentioned staff shortages and we're hearing this right across the hospitality industry. What's the solution to the staff shortages? Well, I think there's there's probably short term, it's difficult to get a solution to it. Uh, longer term, I think, you know, the government, I suppose they have some courses in colleges, but I think maybe it's time that they 
uh, ECBT and those come back into secondary schools and start taking uh, kids, you know, and talking about hospitality careers, uh, be it bar management, you know, chefing, the, the, the food sciences, um, and take them directly into apprenticeships because I think for the last number of years since CERT went, that has been uh, really lacking uh, in our um, in our industry. So that would be a medium to longer term solution. I suppose short term, you know, like I was dealing with a man yesterday and like he's looking for a visa for to bring in uh, chefs and floor staff from Malaysia and like for each person that he's bringing in it's costing between visas and paperwork you know upwards of 2,000 euros so oh, you know it, it's uh, if the government could work on that the easing of you know the requirements for that and the costs associated it would be a help that would be a shorter term solution but um, I suppose a big void has been left since a lot of the Eastern European people have gone returned to their home countries during the pandemic and they haven't come back to Ireland and a lot of them were working, you know, chefs, a lot on floor staff in hospitality. So the void that's been left by them has been really felt at the moment. And then you add in the college students that worked all summer to get jobs and get experience. They've all headed back to college now. Um, and that's a real challenge for the for the next few weeks uh, to get, you know, premises getting themselves sorted out with staff. OK. All right. Listen, Michael, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank you, and Patricia. Thanks and congratulations for on your award during the week. <laughs> You're very kind. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Bye. 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 Have a good day. That is uh, Michael O'Donovan, who is chair of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103. Now, two local politicians joined me this morning because they're both raising concerns about the out-of-hours South Dock service in their areas to try to find out what's going on. I'm firstly joined by West Cork Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Collins and in a moment we'll find out what's going on in Kinsale when uh, Fianna Gael Senator Tim Lombard joins me. But firstly, Michael Collins joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Michael, this is to do with the... There is no South Dock service on some days in Castletown Bear. And it's to do with a doctor who retired. Can you just explain the background to this? Yeah, there's a doctor, a local has retired, um, that was working out of Castletown Bear uh, for a a number of years. Um, uh, Now, in fairness, his retirement was well flagged. um, And and the HSE would have been aware of this, I'd say, for maybe well in advance of 12 months. So it wasn't a sudden decision, uh, his retirement. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, there is an agreement there in, in Castletown Bear uh, to, up to now that we'll say the local doctors cover two nights a week, even though they have to work two, the, the full days of every week, but they work two nights, but that South Dock and that local was covering the remainder of the nights that, uh, during the week, which gave an opportunity, a break for the for the doctor, as such as what you would fully expect. But the, the unfortunate thing is uh, the local is retired, the HSC don't seem to be able to have the South Dock services that are there working the HD don't seem to be able to replace um, uh, this locum, which means that um, Castle Dunbear, which is, just affects like Adrigal, Ardboom, Adelaide, or Arden, Iris, and Gareth, and parts of South Kerry in Lorock, um, don't have a proper South Dock service by night. What they are now getting is cover, um, in, is, is, is cover in, in, from the Bantry South Dock, which is mainly um, telephone cover as such, because they can't leave their business. They're obviously covering a huge area as it is. So you have a telephone cover and then maybe calling the ambulance service. And look, I, I mentioned both issues in the doll yesterday. The ambulance 
Kerry or everywhere else, but where they should be. One ambulance has been to be full time in Castletown Bear. That's never in Castletown Bear now. So the whole area there that I mentioned are in dire trouble. And we did see in the Carrigan newspaper that can say the situation is, is, is similar. And, you know, yeah, and we're talking about we're talking about very rural areas. And what, about 4,000 people in the catchment area would it be? Yeah, easy. Because, I mean, if you're going down into Lark, you're maybe talking about another, you know, South Kerry as well. You could be talking about another 2,000. You could be talking about 6,000 people. And again, you know, South Dog is very much... You could have five calls one night, you could have one another, you could have six another. It's obviously, you know, it, it, it varies at times, but the areas are huge, like uh, hugely rural areas like Argoom. You can well imagine that there's a serious inordinate call from Bantry to Argoom, but like that, that same South Dock doctor may have a problem in Dunmanway that he needs to deal with, or Skibbereen he needs to deal with. So he cannot be in Argoom, and or she, uh, they cannot be in Argoom. It's also putting severe pressure on the doctors in Castletown Bear who work diligently with the people and are working usually from 8 to 5 or 6 in the evening and are now t- being called on to cover for the night, to do the night shifts as well to do the night so, shifts I mean because you're talking about South Talk normally kicks in from about 6 in the evening until 8 o'clock the following morning so you're saying there are periods during the week and I imagine the weekend included where for that entire area of West Cork if somebody needs South Talk and, 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 and like a phone consultation is not always appropriate it's not, it's not always what's needed No I mean look you know you could have all urgent situations you know heart attack stroke you could have any situation as such Like, and, and the, the problem is now and we're finding between no SOTOC service no ambulance service that people are making a very uh, they're, they're making a decision that they won't wait or they can't wait or they can't take a chance and they're putting people in cars and they're taking them to a few or taking them to the nearest you know, uh, emergency unit that's available. That's yeah, but that's just blocking up. That's just blocking up A and E. It is. It is. But the whole point is that this is well flagged, and I can't understand. And I did call and, and the Thomas to tell yesterday. I raised the question with the Donald. In fairness, he did say he's going to look into the matter with the, with the, with the minister. But the, the issue is this is the same as Bandridge General Hospital there a few months ago. These are well flagged. It's not something that ha- happened overnight. So the, the, the issue with the admission to Bandridge Hospital was well flagged years in advance. This is well flagged apparently well in advance and there's been no cover or no great intention to cover and it's hidden into three weeks this weekend. I'm reading now on the Irish Examiner online. Is there a new GP to arrive in the town on, at the end of October? D- 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 that's the hope that there's a locum going to arrive um, in, at the end of October and that will resolve the, the matter we hope uh, from October onwards. But like there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a fall back in between here and October that people, you know, are left in a situation without cover uh, overnight, um, uh, proper cover overnight with a South Dock service. And, you know, I don't know, you know, wh- where what's the, what's the reading of the situation? Why in these things resolved in advance? Why? We have a lot of questions, um, uh, Patricia, in relation to this, in relation to hospital, in relation to the ambulance service. Why, you know, I've had numerous, numerous amount of people ringing me and contacting me, telling me, they, 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 whether it was above in Castletown Bear, whether it was down in Glendore, whether it was in Skull, they're waiting for an ambulance, couldn't get an ambulance, no ambulance in Cork County. No okay, st- Cork stay County there. Let's go to Kinsale and see what's the story in Kinsale. Senator Tim Lombard joins us about the South Dock service in Kinsale. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Tim, the South Dock service in Kinsale closed, was it 2014? Yeah, 2014, there was a rationalisation broke, put in place for the South Dock services and they 
And what they did basically was they put the Bagram Kinsale um, services together in Bandon, uh, which meant that the entire peninsula of Kinsale, if like Bandon, Bandon, all that part of the world, were kind of, they, they, they lost their South Dock services. And look, it was a huge issue at the time. I think we fought with the minister to try to get something done. And I thought we had a review done, and the review, unfortunately, didn't come back with the appropriate results. But when you look at what Slauncher Care was proposing, having more community activity regarding doctors in particular, and more community services, like that's really where this game is at, to make sure we have those community services in our own communities itself. And that's why we need to have the actual South Dock services in Kinsale re-established and brought back. And has there been any talk of looking at it again and reinstating it? uh, Yeah, so in the last maybe three or four months, I started, um, I would have contacted the Minister for Health and the the former chairperson of Slauncher Care, which is after the parting since, about those issues. Because when you read the Slauncher Care document, it does go into detail about services being provided locally and having that kind of local connection. And I think we've seen the battles in Slauncher Care in the last maybe 10 days in particular. Mm. And it's about trying to make sure that this, this 10-year all-party strategy regarding healthcare is delivered and also the community part of it, which I'm really pushing for Kinsale, is delivered because there's no point having a fancy document up in Dublin if it doesn't deliver on the ground for me here. Yeah, and I know you've got concerns with the winter months asking people to travel uh, to Bandon to get to, to the South Dock. But also, tour, Kinsale, like the uh, West Cork where Michael is talking about out on the Bear Peninsula, they're very much tourist areas. We were all staycationing this year. There must have been an increase in numbers of people who needed to access a GP. You never know if you're going to get sick on holidays. Uh, Tim, we're were tourists surprised to hear that they'd have to travel for an out-of-hour service if they were visiting Ab- Kinsale? Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly if you talk to the taxi services in Kinsale, like they're always the people that you talked about these, these issues. And like David continuously saying that the tourism, the tourists that come to Kinsale, if they need to get emergency service to go all the way to Kinsale or to Bandon, is just unbelievable in their eyes. And like the population of this area literally nearly doubles in the summertime. Mm. We have a huge tourism trade. And in particularly in these months in September, October, they're of a certain age and demographic. And to not to have a South Dock service based in Kinsale for that alone is really, really troubling. And I think, you know, the lack of joint up thinking is kind of killing us when it comes to this national policy we have called Slauncher Care. But we do have a huge issue when it comes to GPs. I think what we mentioned about Castown Bear, issues abandoned about GPs, the lack of GP cover and the lack of GPs coming into the system is becoming a massive issue for our actual primary healthcare services on the ground. Yeah, but, and, you know, and it, but, as, but as Michael pointed out, the, the locum who retired didn't just suddenly decide on a Friday, bye now, I'm, I'm not going to be here on Monday. There was loads of uh, notice given. Heidi says, uh, hi Patricia, I can't believe that this is going on in West Cork and it'll be really happening to the people that we are without a South Dock and then not always having an ambulance available. It is so unfair. I think West Cork always seems to be treated badly by the HSC. Michael, what response did you get when you raised it in a doll level yesterday? Yeah, in fairness to the town, it did uh, take on board the concerns that, that, that I had on behalf of the people who from there. And I went to the it was a part of my constituency. And, and he promised me that he'd speak to the minister uh, immediately and try and, and, and get a solution to the matter. But, you know, that'll have to be followed up next week in the doll again because, uh, you know, the, the, the West Cork is being treated in a second class uh, 
um, I mentioned like Bantry Hospital, I mentioned the Sultak, I mentioned the ambulance service, and I and I know uh, Central Lombard mentioned Slant Care. We know where Slant Care is at the moment is at the bottom of the the ladder uh, with with all the recent um, uh, resignations. So healthcare is 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 in a very serious situation here in West Park, and unfortunately, we see we can see it. And 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 what I'm convinced it will if you if you have a a major problem with your ambulance service, a major problem with your Sultak service, you are it's going to lead to a loss of life. And the people of West Cork deserve better. Do we also need to be training more GPs? We certainly do, but I, I think in encouraging them, I think the encouragement is always, is, is, and the incentives to, to work in rural communities, because most GPs that do move to rural communities, young families are, are delighted to be that, but there has to be an, an enticement uh, and an incentive to, to do that, and that isn't there at the present time. There, you know, and, and if you, if you, if you if we're looking, we seem to be looking across the world for doctors to come to beautiful places like Castleton Bear or Kinsale or wherever, um, and, and maybe we should be looking uh, and training our own doctors and focusing them and giving them the proper incentives to come and live and work in, in rural communities. Yeah, and, and beautiful neck of the woods to live in for sure. Okay, uh, Michael and uh, Tim, thank you both for that. And I can see a number of listeners are saying, uh, well done, uh, please keep uh, fighting. Uh, somebody says, I live in fear that I will get sick at, at night uh, because I know there will be nobody there to uh, if, if I pick up the phone and look for help. And uh, Heidi says, Patricia, once again, uh, Michael Collins voting concern on behalf of the people of West Cork. Uh, well done. Okay, thank you both. And thanks for joining thank us on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Deputy Michael Collins, Independent Dáil Deputy in uh, West Cork and also Fine Gael Senator Tim uh, Lambert fighting the good fight on behalf of people in Kinsale. But it is really troublesome and very worrying to think that there are periods of time if you're living out on the Bearer Peninsula and you and of course it's great if you can get sick between nine and six during the day when you have a GP available to you. But if God forbid something goes wrong and nine out of ten times there's something if it's going to be an emergency it will happen at night but it's just uh, awful to think that in West Cork in the Castletown Bear area they have been without their regular South Dock service now for the last few weeks and well done to some of the local GPs who really are trying to do their best to pick up the cover but there seems to be you know they can't obviously work 24-7 seven days a week but as I say I am reading from the Irish Examiner online today that on the 26th of October a new GP is set to arrive in Castletown uh, Town Bear, uh, but and cover for the weekend shift though m- from Monday to Friday from 6pm on Friday to 8am on Monday is also is, is still uncertain even with the arrival of the new GP to Castletown Bear on the 26th of October we will keep an eye on this story thank Thank you, thank you, thank you to Greta and all the gang at Forget Me Not Florist in Mallow who have just delivered the most beautiful bouquet of flowers and she sent them in to congratulate me on the Hall of Fame awards this week and she signs it from all you loyal listeners so that is really kind. I love my flowers. So thank you to Greta and the gang at Forget Me Not Flowers and to all the listeners, thank you. Your flowers have arrived. They are beautiful and I shall certainly enjoy them. Okay, let's get to some of your texts and calls coming in. Still getting in commentary 
about Pref- uh, President Michael D. Higgins, who I mentioned at the top of the programme, who's come out public as to why he's not going to attend this commemoration ceremony that he was invited to attend along with Queen Elizabeth. And it's to commemorate the partition of Ireland and the establishment of Northern Ireland. It was initially built. Uh, and it, well, it is meant to be a religious ceremony, but as Michael D. Higgins is pointing out, it's become a political statement uh, now. A number of people on about that. Good on the president, says this uh, texter. But he shouldn't have said that it wasn't anything personal against the Queen when he was outlining why he wasn't going to attend. Because this listener feels that the buck stops with the Queen. Lots of unnecessary young lives have been lost and the Catholic representation will make fools of themselves by attending and they will let lots of us down if they do attend. And to quote for President Michael D. Higgins, you're better to be alone for the right reasons than to be with the wrong people for the wrong reasons, says a uh, texter. Now, Tom in Rathgormick, and I have to say, Tom, you wrote in a limb on this one because you're the only call and text that we got this morning who is against what Michael D. Higgins has done. Tom feels that Michael D. should be attending the uh, event. He he made his comments to Bernie and when Bernie pushed on it he said well he was invited and he feels that the President isn't giving a good enough reason for not attending and he feels he should be going while Mary was on and she agrees with Michael D politics should not be coming into this at all she also takes umbrage as indeed did our President that the invitation was wrongly addressed by addressing it to the President of the Republic of Ireland but as Michael D points out I am President of Ireland not just the Republic of Ireland I am President of of Ireland. So that's some of your calls and texts coming in on uh, that. And then we're getting some commentary in when I was speaking with Michael O'Donovan of the Vintners Federation. And this is because we got such reaction yesterday when I mentioned that there was a proposal on the table. We know that there's going to be a restructuring of the licensing laws in this country. And part of the restructuring, they're looking at this nighttime economy and there's talks of allowing It'll be mainly late night bars and nightclubs allowing them to open until five, six o'clock in the morning. And this whole idea of having a staggered closing and it's all to do with developing some kind of a nighttime economy happens in other it, it, w- it will be an issue really for cities and maybe some larger urban towns, but certainly in Europe and across the water in England there are late bars and there are clubs that remain open until the small hours of the morning. We've never had it in this country Uh, and now with the the changes to the licensing laws it's something that is going to be discussed and you know they're talking about that late night economy and trying to give a little bit of a lift to the hospitality sector in those areas if there was an opening for bars to remain and nightclubs until five, six in the morning. We've had an email in from Morris who says the stricter our licensing laws are the better. We're living for the drink in this country and it simply is not healthy. The government's proposal to liberate our alcohol laws will cause more antisocial behaviour, Maris feels, more marriage breakups and more ill health amongst our people. It will also ensure that we will live up to the well-known phrase that we're known for around the world of the drunken Irish. So Morris, if anything, if he had his ways, if they're going to look at the... And I do think the licensing laws, they are archaic. I mean, I couldn't believe that some of them have been around for nearly 200 years. They do need to be looked at. I do, I do accept that. But if Morris had his way, he would actually be making them uh, stricter. And then one of the topics that we discussed when we were talking about the licensing laws and talking about... Po- 
pubs and talking about hospitality is the issue to do with staff shortages and there's a huge problem at the moment within the hospitality sector. Now we've addressed it on the programme before, we've certainly spoke with the Restaurant uh, Association and other hoteliers and that there are problems, there are some restaurants and cafes for example that are only able to open for so many days a week because they can't get staff there are other businesses who opted just to do outdoor dining, not to do indoor dining because they couldn't get the staff to cover the indoor dining as well and we know that we have a problem. Now Michael was pointing out one of the main areas where we lost staff because of the pandemic were people Eastern European people from Eastern European countries who came to live and work in this uh, country many of them worked in hospitality of course it started the pandemic many of them decided to go home now I don't know will, will they ever return will some of them return will none of them return but they've left a huge huge gap within hospitality and then there's been the problem that and we've had people complain about it during the summer months with the reopening of hospitality. Many businesses have been relying on students. They were untrained. People were giving out about the quality of some of the service that they had in restaurants and in hotels. But we now add to the problem that many of those students, that they were college students or leaving cert students or even fifth years, they're gone back to school or back to college. So now the shortage of staff is even going to get worse. Well, here is a text in from Dan in Mallow who says, Patricia, my view on hospitality and the staff shortages. I have a family member working in the sector. He's been in kitchens working in what I can only describe as hot sweat boxes, working late nights and of course working all weekends. Guess what? He does that for €10 an hour. Then the cranky underpaid chefs, they have been enduring the same and they're working for as little as €14 an hour. Now, according to Dan, obviously we're his family member is working because this certainly doesn't happen everywhere because I know we've spoken about this before in the programme. He says tips are kept by the owner. He says the owner's in a lot of places and the low-ranking staff are treated like disposable dish rags. Now, Dan's point is that the minimum wage was one of the greatest con jobs done to the unskilled people of Ireland. It was a clever way of price fixing of wages as there's no competition between employers and nobody can be bothered to leave a bad employer for better money elsewhere. Why? Because they're all paying the same money. So the most vulnerable, the unskilled, are trapped and are exploited. This low-wage strategy has come back to bite the people that thought it was made for with this con job when this con job was hatched. My, Dan feels by the government in cahoots with big business lobbies. Well, remember when the minimum wage came in, it was the unions fighting on behalf of workers. They were they were to the forefront of insisting that there would be you know, the least amount of money that you could uh, work for. And they're always campaigning for the minimum wage uh, to be increased. But you are right. There are people who, unskilled workers who are caught it's very difficult in this country because everything, we are an expensive country to live in and everybody accepts that. And if you're trying to do that on a minimum wage, and that's why we hear so much talk about uh, people, the working poor, people who are going out to work, you know, working the full 40 hour a week, bringing home their wage packet. But if you're trying to raise a, a family on a minimum wage or you're trying to pay a mortgage on a minimum wage or trying to pay high rents, it is very, very difficult indeed. And that's why rather than a minimum wage groups like Social Justice Ireland, the Society of Vincent de Paul groups that work with poor people in this country will tell you we need to have a living wage 
not a minimum wage. And will we ever see that day? I don't know. Thank you for your text, though, uh, Dan to WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 with a reminder to you when you if you are texting this morning to do it by WhatsApp please our text message service still seems to be uh, down and on that whole issue of bars staying open later late night bars and the possibility of clubs nightclubs remaining open till 5, 6 in the morning somebody says Patricia why on earth do people want to be out clubbing until the small hours of the morning aren't they getting on okay now with the early closing and a number of people yesterday thank you for your text a number of people yesterday when we started talking about this you know, this idea being floated that clubs would remain open till 5 and 6 in the morning couldn't get over the number of people who said that they preferred the hours the way they are at the moment well, it's 11 o'clock isn't it bars have to stop serving at 11 with everybody out until half 11 and that's to do with the Covid restrictions which I imagine are going to be gone when we get to the 22nd of October but so many people think that that current system is working that people have enough time to get out have their few drinks and go home and at half 11 we should be keeping it at Last drinks at 11 and all out by half 11. And I'm sure the staff that work in a lot of those establishments would be agreeing with you as well. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And interested in your thoughts on Maria's topic this morning. Maria says, Hi Patricia. A lot of people Friday, a lot of people will be out doing their shopping. Have, have others noticed or come across this? Maria says, I am horrified going into some supermarkets and seeing baked goods, cakes, scones, croissants, all unwrapped. If Tommy with COVID or asymptomatic Kitty with COVID touches those products and then Nora comes along and picks up the scones that Tommy and Kitty have touched and takes them home and eats them. Could this not be one of the ways that COVID has been transmitted? Supermarkets make an, have made an absolute fortune during all of the lockdowns and during right throughout this pandemic. The baked products were wrapped in the early stages of the pandemic. Surely it's a health and safety issue to have food that you can't wash and allowing it to be unwrapped. Where are the HSC in all of this? Our chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan. Why is he not insisting? Surely this could be a major issue when you hear about people who get COVID and say they don't know how they picked it up, says Maria. And you will get a number of people will say that the only place I was I was in was the uh, supermarket. Well, I suppose for anybody nervous about picking up products like that is don't buy any unwrapped uh, items. And I don't know how many supermarkets like Maria's generalising saying supermarkets I mean I'll have to look now when I'm doing my shopping at the weekend I'll, I'll take a look at any supermarkets I'm in I don't know how many supermarkets have reverted back to the unwrapped because you are right in the early stages of the pandemic when there was a lot of talk about surfaces and all of that even though the, the focus now seems to be more gone on airborne transmission doesn't it particularly with the Delta variant rather than it landing and remaining on uh, surfaces but I don't know if people I would agree with Maria and as she said she's horrified when she goes into a supermarket and do people avoid picking up the lovely fresh croissants and scones and the nice freshly baked breads that you bring home and slice yourself and if it's not wrapped do you, do you avoid it are the supermarkets you shop in are they still wrapping it up for you or having it wrapped on the shelves 1850 Bernie taking your calls you can WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs 
Abbey Lands Nursing Home, they're in Kildallery. They've got vacancies for healthcare assistance. They're also looking for a housekeeper, a part-time chef and some laundry staff. You apply, please, to info at abbeylandsnursinghome.com. Caretaker Stroke Groundskeeper wanted it's for a CE scheme in the Grenna Kilcully areas, 021 438 Carpenter is wanted for the city centre. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And Dr. Leader's Surgery, that's in Bohagui, they've got a vacancy for a general practice nurse. CVs please to drjoyceleader at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. As part of a survey to highlight Palliative Care Week, which is this week, four out of five people say if they were living with a serious illness, they would like their doctor to talk to them about palliative care. Uh, Dr Fargal Toomey is a palliative care specialist based here in Cork and he joins me. Good morning to you, Fargal. Uh, good morning, Patricia. And, um, and you're welcome to the programme. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What, what do you believe are the common misconceptions around palliative care? 
Just, just one thing to correct. I'm, I'm working in Limerick. Um, in the you're in Milford. Indeed, Milford. You're in Milford. And you know something? We, we, we were checking that yesterday, and it said on a press release you were based in Cork. And then when we googled you, it said you were in Milford. And I thought maybe you just moved to Cork, so you're in Milford. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> never lies. Yeah, uh, never um, lies. Never lies. No. So okay. Am, common misconceptions. I will put it the, the the most common misconceptions uh, that the survey um, that you referred to from July this year highlighted that one in four people surveyed felt that having palliative care mentioned to them was equivalent to having only days left to live. Um, and the main misconception is that palliative care is, is about dying and, and people who are uh, live in a hospice only. Uh, I think the 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 the, the the subline for palliative care this week is that palliative care is more than more than you think, and I think the most important thing for people to recognise is that palliative care is not just for people who have uh, cancer; it's not um, uh, just for people who are dying. And in fact, we are much more interested in palliative care about focusing on how well people can live for as long as they have, rather than on, on the fact that uh, they're dying. Yeah, and I think as well, as soon as you mention palliative care, people think. Oh, that means going to a hospice. I mean, it can now, it can be given in many different settings. It isn't just a hospice. Absolutely not. I mean, uh, palliative care uh, is a service provided without walls. Many services have a, a hospice inpatient unit as the, the, the centre or the hub of their service. But most of the, the palliative care that my colleagues and I across the country provide actually happens in the patient's home. Um, and most people, if they had their choice, would wish to have that. Uh, and I think the other thing is that palliative care gets involved uh, in, in the care of individuals yes, with serious illness much, much earlier now than, than it would have done before. So we can be involved in patients' care for weeks, months, and, and sometimes years uh, to add uh, quality to their life. And in essence, in essence that's what most people want. Um, we know that no one is going to live forever, but mm-hmm. we want to live as well as we can while we can. So how does palliative care benefit somebody who has a life-limiting condition? I suppose a couple of things uh, come to mind, Patricia. One of the first things is that people, if they wish to, would understand as much about their particular illness, whether it's a a cancer diagnosis or it's a heart disease, lung disease, a neurological condition like motor neuron disease or multiple sclerosis or anything else, so that they would be as well informed as they want to be about what uh, options they have for their care um, and I suppose what to realistically expect. I think people who have that opportunity and take that opportunity to understand what's going on can really play a part in in their own care and in designing the care that that they will receive. I think palliative care focuses on physical problems. So traditionally, people think of pain control, uh, control of sickness, breathlessness and nausea. But we also look uh, an awful lot at how people's psychology is, how people's um, uh, psychological well-being is and how it's affected uh, by their illness. Uh, Very much the patient is at the centre of our care, but their their immediate uh, family and, and and loved ones are a very close uh, a very close second. Um, so I think the, the the main focus is on the individual, but we have a, a big focus as well as people would say to me about rehabilitative palliative care. So it's about getting people going again, getting them up and going, getting them home, getting them independent, despite the fact that they may have a, a life limiting and a serious illness. Yeah, and it's to to let them live the best life that they can regardless of how much time they've left. 
Well, absolutely. I suppose we use a phrase that we only have one chance to, to get it right. And yeah. I think that applies to how people live with illness. And yes, it clearly applies to how people uh, die uh, from and with illness. Um, but the sickest people I meet are the, and those people who are still looking for more living and more life, we can actually make, uh, even in a very short time of uh, being involved with, with palliative care, can make significant differences in how people um, live, their quality of life their, and their comfort and their satisfaction. And obviously the patient is at the centre of all of it, but does palliative care also benefit the families? Well, it does. Uh, so as I alluded to earlier, I think if, if a patient uh, wishes, uh, he or she uh, can be as well informed about their condition as possible. And that then gives people a sense of, OK, I know exactly where I stand. Um, and I now know what my options are around what options, what care I can have and where I can have it. And I think if the patient is, uh, has that information and then obviously shares it with his uh, or her um, family and family in the broadest sense, um, well, then they can all have a much more, I suppose, more focused uh, approach to what they're what they're dealing with. And um, I think again, um, with the, the patient's uh, consent, we can uh, help families through social work, through psychological support, um, and others to cope. Because caring for someone with a serious illness is is a challenge. Caring for someone with a serious illness who is very important to you in your life is a mm. significant challenge that none of us is is, is prepared for. So palliative care is not just about the individual. It is first and foremost about the individual, but absolutely we include the wider family and those close to patients. And when you talk to anyone whose lives have been touched by palliative care, but particularly by any of the wonderful hospices that we have, everybody talks about that, that holistic approach where everybody gets helped out. Well, that is true. And I think the more people, uh, one of the things about palliative care being about it's more than you think is is about trying to reduce uh, people's concerns and fears about accessing palliative care. I think it's fair to say that if you mention Milford Hospice or Marymount Hospice or St. Francis Hospice or any of the hospices around the country, um, people get a, a, a bit of a, a chill because they feel somebody is obviously very unwell. No one would choose to have a, a serious illness. But what we find is that the earlier palliative care um, can help and be involved in helping somebody, um, the, the, the faster the improvements that can be made and the better the, the quality uh, of care can be. I suppose in most recent times, COVID has affected everybody uh, in Ireland and, and internationally. But what it's done for patients with palliative care is that many people have been too afraid to present to hospital or unable to get access to, to GP care or hospital. And some are presenting with uh, advanced disease mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think that in itself is a, is a, a great shame. And palliative care has been impacted by 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 COVID also in terms of uh, that access to visiting, that meeting with families. Um, and as the restrictions are, are are lifting, we are able to get somewhere back to what uh, normal service would have been um, two years ago. Brilliant, brilliant. And as a society, Fargal, are we getting better at talking about end of life care? Um, I suppose, Patricia, uh, I would hope that we are making some improvements, but uh, even the, the survey that we both referred to earlier on shows that a thousand people in Ireland in, in, in July to t- 2021 are very concerned and afraid of and avoidant of, of talking about palliative care. We in Ireland have uh, very traditional celebrations around um, death and people who have died and funerals and wakes and so on. 
but we're really very poor still at having discussions um, about uh, what might happen if I were to become less well. We, we are not good at making advanced care plans about what our wishes might be. And death and dying in Ireland, despite our sort of uh, traditional grasp on it when people have died, is a taboo subject when we're alive. And I think a much more open discussion about living, um, about dying, about what, what's important to me if I was to be suddenly less well, uh, is an important part of a, a society that's, that's growing up and embracing, I suppose, the reality of life. Um, none of us is going to live forever, um, but it's important that if there are things that are vital to me as an individual, Fargo to me today, should I be less well, that my wife and my family are aware of those wishes. So if anything were to happen to me, um, they would at least be uh, they know. advice to the doctors about what it is I might have wanted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And will there be a need for m- more palliative care right across the country, do you think, in the coming years? I think there's no doubt about that as people are living uh, longer and uh, they're getting more illnesses and more complex illnesses. I think it's also uh, very true to say that um, people living in every country in Ireland do not have the same access to palliative care. There are parts of the country uh, that don't have uh, access to a, a specialist inpatient unit or a hospice. Um, there are uh, uh, parts of the country that don't have access to a consultant provider's care. Um, and I think there are parts of the country that don't have as well served a community specialist palliative care team either. So uh, I think uh, we are in the process of beginning to re- uh, to review the national strategy document for, for palliative care. The current document uh, dates back to t- 2001 um, and we are looking to, to, to devise a new strategy for palliative care and look forward to working with the Department of Health and the HSE in, in driving that forward in the coming years. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that and uh, um, I enjoyed uh, speaking with you today that uh, Dr. Fargal Toomey of Milford Care Centre will get the title right as we sign off. Thank you for that, uh, Fargal. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. Now my next guest has this week embarked on an incredible challenge undertaking seven peaks in a week in the hopes of raising funds for the West Cork Rapid Response Team. Adam Collins joins me in advance of climbing Caron Tuhill uh, today. Good morning to you, Adam. Morning, Patricia. And, uh, I'm very well and I have to say you're not alone. You're also climbing with your friend Alan Kremen. Is, is it just yeah, the two? It's, it's just the two of you, is it? Uh, well, it was the two of us, I suppose, that have been doing the fundraising and all the climbing. But uh, we've been joined, you know, on a few of the peaks okay. with uh, friends, family, stuff like that. And there'll be a few of us climbing Cron too now for the final one today. And was the was always the idea to save the highest to last? Was that always part of the plan? Yeah, um, I suppose some people think we're a bit mad for maybe leaving the hardest one till the end. But, uh, you know, you always finish with the boss level, I suppose. Leave uh, the grand finale to the end. Okay, so take me through the week. Where did you start? So we started above in Down, and our first time was Steve Donard. Uh, a lovely mountain, but my first time climbing it, and we definitely recommend it to anyone that's into hiking. It's uh, spectacular views, you know. There's some amazing moors above there, so uh, it was amazing. We went down then to Wicklow to climb Lug Naquilla, um, and then on to Galtie Moor in Limerick Tip, uh, that kind of on the border there. After that, we were kind of went down to Kerry for final four. Uh, Bartragome was one which we climbed kind of outside of Tralee. We done Brandon then, which is kind of the opposite side of Dingle, 
knocked the fist uh, yesterday and finished with Cron Tool today. <laughs> you say it as you went, as if you went for a stroll um, every day. <laughs> okay, of of the six so far, what was what has been the most difficult? Um, I'd have to say yesterday, knock the fish. There was definitely the most grueling of this. I suppose what we've done so far. Um, it's just next to Cron Tool. There, you actually leave from Cronin's Yard, the same place, and you just turn left off the path for the Devil's Ladder, um, and you're kind of thrown. I mean, straight away into a fairly volatile ascent through kind of boggy terrain. Uh, there's no real path or trail to follow. So I think with the timing and the weather we had yesterday and just, uh, you know, the, the climb itself, uh, it was a fairly uh, demanding uh, climb. So I definitely put that up as the hardest one. Oh, so and look, talking about the weather, what is the, have you, you've had mixed weather. Have you all week? We have, yeah. Uh, we've been fortunate enough some days that we get a view like Shlee of Donard was the sun was spitting stone and oh. um, we had spectacular views from the top you know we could see right down into the town Newcastle below and there's a fantastic coastline around there uh, Brandon below in Dingle well we were kind of clear skies the whole way up and the minute we got to the peak it uh, came in on top of us but uh, thankfully we were persuaded to hang around for I know an extra 10 or 20 minutes and it cleared up so we got some lovely views there of Dingle since as well so uh, we were very happy with it. Uh, we're hoping out today, I mean, we're blowing uh, Cronin's Yarn out at the moment and it's, well, the sun is shining, there's a few clouds in the sky, but hopefully when we get to the Well, the, well here, that's what the, for, the forecast was, I mean, we woke to a kind of a wet and a dreary and a miserable morning, but the forecast is it's going to clear up as the day goes on, so it's obviously, it's, it's just starting to clear here in Cork, but obviously it's starting to clear earlier in Kerry, so it looks like you, sh- you could, how many hours will it take you? Um, we actually tried it last weekend, just as I suppose. Did you uh, for the fun? Just for training, you know, just to get the legs moving, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, it took about four and a half hours, I'd say. Okay. Um, so I'd say we've probably been around the same time today, depending on the stops now and the photo ops and so on and so forth. And what, what did you stay locally each night, wherever you uh, are around the country? Times, right. You know, down now and Wicklow, we would have stayed um, the night before just to set off early in the morning. But I mean, Galtimore, I mean, we live in Cork uh, ourselves, so Galtimore was only about an hour away and Strict Clarny is the same. We did stay below Dingle, right, for Bartholomew and Brandon, just because I didn't really fancy the two and a half hour drive yeah, down yeah. beforehand. But uh, we've been very fortunate, you know, we've had people driving us around during the week and people joining us on the climb. So have you, been, have uh, you had a backup team helping you out? Yeah, I suppose if you want to call them that, all right. More <laughs> friends and family volunteering there. The odd days, you know, uh, people mainly driving us to and from the climb because it's definitely something you don't want to do after doing a four-hour hike is sit back into the car and uh, drive away home. So it's been handy in that sense. And, uh, yeah, people have joined us as well, you know, on the peak. Uh, today now we have, you know, my parents are below and we'll have a few friends and so on and so forth with us as well. So uh, it should be a good old day. Are your parents joining you on the climb? Uh, one of them is alright the chauffeur is asking to, to keep the engine running in case we get down fast <laughs> that's important too and you know, you've gone from one climb into the next the following day because it was all to do with the, the seven peaks in a week how is the body are the bodies holding up for both of you yes surprisingly well enough um, there's a few aches and pains between us you know but nothing too major I'd say once we start now the legs will probably turn to jelly or ice and uh, we'll be fairly bailed out for the weekend. But uh, at the moment, we've kind of just kept going, and that has seemed to uh, kept us uh, strong so far anyway. 
it might be a different story now when we finish this evening, but uh, I'll be sure I'll keep you posted. Okay. No injuries, which is the main thing, or blisters. Blisters can always no. be an issue with when you're doing something. Yeah, yeah, look, I suppose, you know, it's just a matter of bringing the proper gear along with you. And uh, there's no, I suppose, there's no race. I'm not trying to set any records there. The key thing for us really is just to get to the top and get back down again. Mm. Uh, you know, if we need to take 100 stops or 200, we'll uh, just go at our own pace, really. Okay, and it is, as I said at the outset, well, it's a, a mad thing to do. It is a fundraiser. You try, you want to raise money for the West Cork a Rapid Response Team, uh, an incredible organisation. Are, why are they so special to you, Adam? Um, so we're raising for West Cork Rapid Response and Pieta House. And I suppose I uh, work for a distillery called in Canakilty. Uh, we've done a fundraiser with West Cork Rapid Response before. And, you know, they're fairly famous around the area, so... I'd walked in before and been aware of the work that they do and know that they rely strongly on their fundraising. So uh, we went to like Pieta was kind of one that we thought of. Look, it's been a really difficult year for uh, everyone, but especially those that are most vulnerable in our community. And so I think, you know, it was definitely one that we thought of straight away. And then when we went to do a local, kind of more smaller organisation, West Cork Rapid Response was the first one. You know, I know Dr. Jason and the team below there, like Dina from... Uh, O'Donovan's and Kate who does the fundraising and like they all volunteer they do some fantastic work and it's an amazing service to the area so uh, look it was a no-brainer really well done. Uh, and in, in their own way they both save lives both the West Cork Rapid Response and Piatia that's what they're about they're about saving lives exactly yeah and look like I said it's been a difficult year for everyone but especially those most vulnerable in our community and those that work on the front lines as well you know West Cork Rapid Response didn't have a break over COVID. They couldn't work from home or anything like that. So uh, I think oh, they're a really special service. So we're just delighted to help wherever we can. Okay. How do people donate? So we have a GoFundMe page set up. Uh, sometimes you can search GoFundMe at Seven Peaks in a week. Or else you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And the link is in our bio. Again, it's just Seven Peaks in a week. Okay. And, uh, but and that's probably the simplest way. I know before I came on air, Bernie was telling me you were around the 4,000 mark, are you? I think we're actually close to about four and a half now. Brilliant. This morning, last time I checked. So, uh, Brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's tearing ahead. We've actually decided to leave the fundraiser for open as well for the month of September because uh, we think there might be a few people that will donate once we finish. Yeah. There's a few things uh, out there that maybe thought that we wouldn't do it at all. So hopefully <laughs> we'll see a few more donations coming in. And and this is your week off. This is your week holiday. Is this what, what you've done yeah, this week? Yeah, it's a week off. <laughs> It's a bit crazy, all right? We've kind of been questioning ourselves every now and then, uh, saying that, you know, it's not the usual holiday that we're used to, but uh, it's something different. And I think, look, it's a challenge that if we hadn't done, we'd look back and regret it. So, yeah, and uh, it's, it's something you, you'll remember forevermore, for, for sure. And are you back to work on Monday? We are, yeah, back into the... I'm in the office, so I'm not too bad, but uh, Alan works as an engineer out in uh, for Jimmy Buttermuck. He's uh, built sheds and stuff out in Caffeine, so I'd say... Uh, He'll be fairly sore come next week, but uh, he'll be fine at the end of the day. And you'll need everybody in the office for uh, Clonakilty Distillery. Padded seats, I think is what Adam uh, Yeah, maybe a, a shot of whiskey on Monday yeah, morning. Well, that, but I was going to say that that might help or if somebody's any good at the old massage bit of an old neck massage yeah. myself. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's fantastic what you're doing. We'll let you off because I know you want to, to make the final uh, ascent and it's the Seven Peaks in a Week on the GoFundMe page. It's fantastic what yourself and Alan are doing. Thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks we appreciate much, it. Patricia. I just wanted to say as well, uh, congratulations on being 
inducted into the Radio oh. Hall of Fame, saw the news <laughs> during the week. And, uh, <laughs> Even while he's climbing a mountain, he's after hearing about it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It does indeed. Thanks a million, Adam. God bless. Thanks, Patricia. Take bye care. Now. Bye-bye. Bye. What a lovely guy. Adam Collins and his friend Alan Kremen. Just the thought of climbing the seven highest peaks in Ireland to do it over a year would be a kind of a bit of a challenge, would it? But to do it in one week in seven days, it's a, it's an amazing achievement. On behalf of the two lads, uh, we wish them well and two really, really fantastic charities, the West Cork Rapid Response Team and Pieta House. If you can give as, as little or as much as you can, it would be terrific. Seven peaks in a week. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 Texts and calls coming into the programme. We were talking with uh, Palliative Care in the last hour because this is Palliative Care Awareness a Week. And um, Dr. Fargo Toomey, you're very much trying to talk around a lot of the misconceptions because I think as soon as hospice is mentioned to anyone or if anybody is unwell and there's mention of palliative care people straight away think oh my god I must, I must be dying and I think in the, probably the very early days of palliative care that was was what happening they sort of it was real end of life care but it's so much different today and that's why it's good that we talk about it and it is important that we talk about it and talk about it with our loved ones as well anyway that's prompted a listener to say I was very resistant to any mention of palliative uh, care as a stage four cancer patient. They have now had input into my care for a few years and they are really helpful with my pain control, etc. I am dying, but sure aren't we all dying, really? Just For just now, I'm living and I'm living very well, partially thanks to palliative care. My advice to anyone is don't be afraid they're there to help you and it definitely doesn't mean you're going to die in the coming days they can help in many ways that perhaps your regular hospital team can't or don't have the resources to do yeah and that's what palliative care and hospice care is all about it's helping you to lead to live as good a quality of life as uh, possible and and thank you I really appreciate that uh, text and can I wish you many more years of living well and you're right we're all in our own way dying even somebody who gets a diagnosis of stage 4 cancer but good to know that you're living well at the moment and long long may that uh, continue and thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103 and we were also speaking um, earlier on on the programme about South Dock services and there's a problem with South Dock service in Castletown Bear kind of a shocking situation in that the the, the wonderful doctor that was there uh, has retired and he's left the area and now they're left with this gaping hole of times during the week when they don't have a South Dock service and there's about 4,000 people that's been served by the Castletown Bear South Dock and when there isn't a South Dock it means people have to go to Bantry if they really need to see a doctor they're going to have to get in the car and go to Bantry or else it's just a telephone consultation which can work in some cases a telephone consultation is fine but it isn't always appropriate or applicable to uh, everyone. Well, Michael has been on, who lives in the Castletown Bear area, so this is very much in his area. He says, Hi Patricia, it bothers me when I hear politicians shouting on the airwaves about South Talk, and particularly South Talk in the Bear Peninsula. The shouting is a bit late, as this has been on the cards for years. Dr E. J. Is it Crana? Is that how you pronounce the gentleman's name? Dr. EJ was an elderly gentleman who was always there on the eve of his retirement and he kept going for as long as he could. Whilst he was there, 
while he was there and actually doing the work, that was the time to be putting somebody in place. Not now, suddenly, when he's gone. These appointments do not happen overnight. And let us not forget that Dr EJ received the Bearer Person of the Year Award for his heroic work by saving those two unborn twins and their mum. And that was back in 2008. He travelled over 100 miles in the back of an ambulance from the tip of the Bearer Peninsula to Cork University Hospital on his knees to save those two little babies and the mum. Today, by the way, says Michael, they're two fine young men. We wish AJ and his wife every happiness in their long overdue retirement and may God bless them. And actually the story of that of Dr EJ is in, and I'm glad you've mentioned it, Michael, because the story itself is absolutely in, incredible. And, and actually... Dr. EJ and his wife, and I'm reminded of this story now, he came to the West Cork area, I think they were doing some, was a tracing of roots or something at, at the time, tracing his Irish ancestry. He was in originally from South Africa and he came and ended up falling in love with the West Cork area and falling in love with Castletown Bear and the Bear uh, Peninsula. And they decided he'd, he'd already, when he came to Ireland, he'd retired from what was a very busy GP practice in Cape Town. And he ended up coming back doing some tracing of his Irish ancestry, obviously fell in love with the West Cork area and said, oh, hang on, you know, I think I'll stay here for a while. And he did. And he stayed from 2006 right through to when now, uh, 2021, just recently, he has fully retired, uh, even though he had come here as a retired GP and they've gone back to South Africa. So we wish uh, Dr. AJ and his wife, Rosemary, all the very best in his uh, retirement. But in fairness, Michael, Deputy Michael Collins said that they've known for a year and if anything Dr EJ was probably on borrowed time from as soon as he came as a retired GP but willing to help out willing to do what he could do for the area and was fantastic at what, as the locum working in Castletown Bear South Dock so the South Dock service and the HSE were aware that this man was planning eventually to go back to South Africa and to finally uh, retire so I don't think you can blame the politicians because the politicians are constantly raising the issues about lack of services in an area. But for whatever reason, they're not being listened to. And now suddenly this man has finally retired and gone home and we're left with an area servicing at least 4,000 people where there are regular nights now every week and across the weekend where there isn't a doctor available. But let's keep our fingers crossed and hope when this GP that's due to take up the position later on in October will fill I don't know if that person's obviously one I don't know if they're going to be able to fill all of the hours that's going to be needed for the South Dock service but I did mention it when I was speaking with Tim Lombard as well because there's a problem in Kinsale because their South Dock has been closed since uh, 2014 and that was due to, to they were there was rationalisation going on at the time and I remember there was a big hoo-ha over that closing but we do have a problem nationwide with we need to be training more GPs and I don't know, whatever it is, young people go into medicine and, you know, they pick what field they want to go into. I don't know how we encourage some of the young doctors coming out of medical college, how we encourage them to go into GP uh, practice. I, I 
I'm, I'm open to correction I don't know which of all of the disciplines pay does it pay more to, for you to go on and be a consultant in a particular field do people see GP work as just hard work hard slog that's never kind of ending and you just wonder what we need to do to try to encourage more young people because we need we are going to need more GPs in this country and we certainly then when we get them trained we need to encourage them not everybody wants to live in a rural area and that's going forward that can be an issue as well so there's a lot of work to be done there and it's not just it's not just going to be for the Bearer Peninsula I think it's going to be an issue nationwide Hi Patricia this uh, I agree with the earlier texter who was on to you who was baffled about being in a supermarket and not seeing the bakery items wrapped. I can't understand how people are buying these items. I regularly see people, for example, going into a supermarket and when they go in, I notice they don't sanitise their hands. Then you'll see the very same people going over, flicking through the magazines and the newspapers and then putting them back on the shelf after they've had a really good look at them. It's absolutely maddening and to me it is so ignorant. I was also stunned this week to see my local priest give Holy Communion into somebody's mouth when they went up to receive. There is nothing wrong with this man in that he can't receive it in his hand. I don't know why he couldn't take communion in the hand like everybody else does. It actually stopped me getting Holy Communion now. The priest should not be doing it. Now, I'm going to have to check in with the various dioceses to see to see what is the recommendations on this, on there has to be COVID. Are there COVID recommendations around how you hand out communion? I would have thought since the start of the pandemic that the priest or the minister of the Eucharist would, you know, fully sanitise their hands and then hand the communion into somebody else's hand. I would have thought that that, because of the pandemic, it would have stopped. Is that widespread for people going to Mass every Sunday? Are you noticing, are there many priests are ministers of the Eucharist actually giving communion to people in the mouth. And like when you say that the man who went up to receive the communion, there wasn't anything wrong with him. Remember, there are some people who've never agreed with getting communion in the hand. I mean, I remember at the time, I don't know how many years ago now it was, when it came in. I mean, I would have remembered growing up, you you always got communion into your mouth. I certainly remember when I was making my communion and you wouldn't dare have touched it. And if for whatever reason the communion fell as it was placed into somebody's mouth, nobody else but the priest was able to pick up the the blessed host. You certainly remember, you know, an ordinary member of the congregation wasn't allowed to do it. Then, then of course, that all changed and people were allowed to receive it in the hand. But not everyone agrees with receiving it in the hand. People are still you know, old traditions, old ways. So maybe that's the reason with that gentleman who got it in into the mouth. But I don't know where the priest stands. I'll have to do a bit of work and see if I can find out. Has there been COVID recommendations to priests and to ministers of the Eucharist? If there is any priest or minister of the Eucharist uh, listening who can tell us, have you been told what to do and what not to do with giving out communion? 1850 Still getting in calls about Michael D. Higgins. Actually, John in Cove was on. He's another. We'd one earlier saying that Michael D is wrong not to go. The bulk of our calls and texts are from people saying that he shouldn't go. John and Cove reckons he should go. He says, Michael D Higgins has, has wined and dined with the Queen before, so there's no reason why he shouldn't go up north this time. Why? And also, 
John says. He says, why does Michael De Higgins insist that he's called President of Ireland and not President of the Republic of Ireland? And the invitation came to President of the Republic of Ireland and Michael D took offence to that and said he's President of Ireland. Uh, he's not President of Ireland, says John in, in Cove, when the six counties belong to the UK. So he's saying that Michael D is wrong not to have gone based on one of the reasons that he said he wasn't going to go was to do with the way the invitation uh, came. And by the way, I've just seen it came up on a news feed earlier that President Michael D. Higgins now has said he's no intention to revisit the decision. He wants a line drawn under it, doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He's made his feelings known. This is why he will not be attending. End of. But anyway, John and Cole feels that he should go. And then column in Butterfield, back to the unwrapped items inside in supermarkets. And I don't know if every supermarket is doing it but some of our listeners are saying that some supermarkets that had at one stage in the early days of the pandemic would always have the scones and the croissants and the the bread that's baked in-house in the bakery would always be wrapped in on the shelves but some of our listeners are noticing that supermarkets are going back to the old way where they're out open and you just pick them up some people are worried about COVID and the spread of COVID by leaving them unwrapped. Colin Bottevin reckons that the, un, that the shops that are doing it, could it be that these particular supermarkets are trying to get rid of the plastics and that they're doing the bit for the environment? And there is. And there was a huge argument at the time, at the start of the pandemic, about people giving out about the amount of items that had to be wrapped because of the plastic. The only thing is, the only good thing is, because a lot of those items that for the supermarkets that are still wrapping them, they'll come in what's called the soft plastic where you can scrunch it up in your hand. And thankfully now, only recently introduced, we can put that into our recycling bin once to make sure that there's no food on it, etc. It's clean, but at least it can be recycled. But Colm, you know something, you absolutely could be right. Maybe some of the supermarkets are deliberately not taking the wrapping off because they want to get rid of plastics and they're doing the bit for the environment. 1850 and I've been asked to give a shout out to a car boot sale which is happening in Ballydehob Community Centre. It is on tomorrow and it is the first one since the pandemic started. Uh, so, uh, so they're back tomorrow. It'll start at 10am in the morning and the car boot sale is on until 3pm in Ballydehob Community Centre tomorrow with all pro it's going to local charities. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative, the perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. And some events that are happening today, Skibbereen Country Market goes ahead, or it's on as we speak. It starts at half 11 and it's on until 2 o'clock today. Abbey Story Church Hall, if you're in Skibbereen, there's lots of cakes and bread and jam and chutneys and plants, etc. Drive in bingo, creamy yard in Kildallery, that's tonight at 8. While Mitchellstown Culture Walk is taking place today between 4 and 6 pm, it'll start from Clon Gibbon Hotel. And if you'd like to book a slot this afternoon, call 087. 3589734 and there's lots of cultural events going on in your area. Good luck to everybody involved in Culture Night uh, tonight. And to celebrate the bicentenary of St Martin's Church in Farnavan, Mass is going to be celebrated tomorrow, two o'clock in the afternoon, and the Mass will be celebrated by the Bishop of Cork and Ross, Finton Gavin. It'll be followed by a book launch 
on the history of the church. There'll be a plaque unveiling, plus refreshments and music. Now, seating is available outside also, where there will be a big screen. All are very welcome and no booking is necessary. And a vintage rum in aid of the air ambulance taking place on this Sunday in Bally de Hob. Vintage cars, please, tractors, motorbikes and trucks all welcome and entries will be taken in the Irish Whip in Ballydehab on Sunday. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And can I just give a shout out to the car boot sale in Ballydehab that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. We had been told it's on tomorrow and there's now a clarification that that car boot sale in Ballydehab, the first one since the pandemic started, is on on Sunday, not tomorrow. So Sunday morning between 10am and 3 with proceeds going to to local uh, charities. Uh, Charlie and Whelan was on about the plastics. Uh, he says all shops are cutting down on the use of plastics these days and surely that is a good thing for the environment even though it's scaring some people who are nervous about picking up COVID if items are left out for people to pick up and touch and, and put it back down again which I suppose you shouldn't be doing if you're going in and you're buying scones or croissants normally there's tweezers and you should only pick up the ones you're going to buy yourself pop them in a bag and you shouldn't be handling any of the other foodstuffs whether COVID is there or not and the the to the listener who uh, said is turned off going to communion because it was at mass and saw a gentleman receive communion in the mouth and was really taken aback by that a Eucharistic minister from Mitchellstown was on and thank you for your call to say that they have been told you only give the host into the hand If the person is insisting that they want to receive communion in the mouth, then that person is supposed to wait until everybody else has received communion and then they must go to the priest and the priest does it as the very last person to be given Holy Communion. And I don't know if that's what happened in the case of the woman who spotted it in her church or not, but I'm glad to clarify that. Thank you to the Minister of the Eucharist who contacted us about that. And then we've had a listener on uh, who says, Patricia, when you were mentioned the budget earlier on this week, do you know, is there any mention that the children's allowance is going to go up when the budget is announced next month? I've got two young children and really struggling and I depend on the children's allowance every month. I'd love to think we're going to get some kind of an increase. At the moment, what's happening with the budget, it's what we always talk about with kite flying. And between now and when the budget is announced, there'll be lots of a kite flying will go on. And I was looking before I came on air today, I was going through the papers as I do every morning. And the, if you take, say, two of... To, to the broadsheets. Say, take the Irish Independent and the Irish Examiner. They both have stories to do with reports that are seemingly out and leaks and kite flying to do with the budget. And they're both completely the opposite of each other. For example, in the Irish Independent, they say that the five euro increase in the state pension, which has been much talk about, uh, is as good as ruled out, they say in their article. And they say it's because there's a detailed analysis uh, that has looked into who needs to get money when it comes to this budget and this detailed analysis is saying that the working aged people on social welfare are the ones who are going to do well in next month's uh, budget. Uh, and now another year without a pension, the article does say is not going to go down well with Fianna Fáil uh, TDs but Fianna Gael backbenchers are then very much against a push to raise PRSI for workers which is something else that has been spoken about. So it's pre-budget work from officials of the Department of Social Protection say that an extra five euro, if they gave an extra five euro to pensioners, they say that would have little effect on reducing poverty because they say 
retired people, many of them are homeowners, so they don't have a mortgage, they're among the least at risk of poverty. And it's the analysis contained in what's called the tax strategy papers. And these are the ones that are prepared for the government ahead of the budget. So they say an extra five euro a week paid to working aged people who are dependent on social welfare, including people who are unemployed or people who can't work because of a disability. They say that that would have a much greater impact on those individuals rather than giving it to older uh, people. The paper also looks at extra payments for children over 12, 5 euro and children younger, 2 euro. Now maybe that that is going to be on a children's allowance. I don't know not actually stating but that's part of this that these obviously are only uh, documents and the documents also look at things like a hike to PRSI for people who are working they're not going to be happy uh, to hear that but they're saying that this tax strategy paper says there needs to be a hike in PRSI because they need to fill the pot which was emptied during COVID and they're talking about things like raising most PRSI rates by 1.5% at the the moment people in employment pay a 4% PRSI this paper is suggesting it should go to 4.5% in 2003 then up to 5% by 2025 and under the proposal by uh, within a few years it will be up to 5.5%. They're also talking about hefty hikes for proposed for self-employed when it comes to their PRSI and uh, the tax strategy group says employers should also pay more to fund pensions and on and on it goes. So that's all in the independent but then when you read and they're saying according to that tax strategy that you wouldn't be giving it to the pensioners you'd be giving it to people to the working poor instead or people relying solely on social welfare but not pensioners but then when you read the examiner the examiner are looking at a paper that's come out from the Department of Finance and they're saying that a 5 euro increase in the state pension and in all of the basic social welfare payments is being recommended by the Department of Finance while new parents will be able to avail of seven weeks paid leave from next uh, August that currently stands at five weeks. They also say in the examiner on top of the five euro increase in the state pension this document from the Department of Finance is also putting forward a hike of two euro fifty per week for in the living alone allowance. They also talk about the telephone support allowance that would be doubled to five euro per week the, the thought passion behind that is the need for broadband access for older people. The document also outlines a five euro weekly rate increase for working aged social welfare recipients, noting that these payments have not been increased since March of 2019. That was the last time somebody living solely on social welfare got an increase was 2019. There's also talks, for example, of increasing the fuel allowance by €3.50 per week, which would offset the planned increase in carbon tax because there's lots of talk about carbon tax. In another article I saw in the paper talking about petrol going up, diesel going up. We know the carbon tax is going to go up which means home heating oil, gas, coal, your briquettes, everything like that is going up from next week and that's of course a commitment that the government has made in order for when the Greens went into government they have made a commitment to hike carbon tax even though on carbon tax they do say that money raised from any increases in carbon tax 
is to be ring fenced for social welfare and other measures aimed at preventing fuel poverty and ensuring this just transition away from fossil fuels. The revenues are also to be used for environmental initiatives, things like retrofitting of homes for uh, energy uh, efficiency. So somewhere in the middle of all of that is what the the budget is going to look like and between now and then you can be guaranteed we are going to hear and see an awful lot more and when we talk about kite flying how often have we spoken about this in back over the years with budgets they'll put something out almost to test the waters to see what will the reaction to that be like and then they'll wait and hear back from backbench TDs indeed even from ministers and if they end up getting a flood of complaints into say constituency office saying rumour has it that you're not going to give old age pensioners don't say old that listener says state pension five euro and you're going to give it on the children's allowance instead they'll test the waters and see what kind of a reaction they will get and that happens every single time in the run up to the budget so I just thought it was interesting today there are two very very different takes on papers and documents that have been put forward but of course that's what the Department of Finance that's what all the ministers will do they'll take a look at what the civil servants have drawn up and then they'll put it together and somewhere as I say they'll find a middle a middle ground but we're going to have to wait until next month for exactly what uh, comes out of the budget 1850 333 103 Bernie continues to take your calls you can text or WhatsApp or no, you can't text just WhatsApp Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us good afternoon to you Mark Hi Patricia I'm sorry we had a problem last week trying, trying to get through to you <laughs> with the phones but you're back with us today which is good Okay yeah. now two movies Cinderella and Werewolves Within and we have a trailer from Cinderella Cinderella This is my chance Dresses by Ella Cinderella I will not have you embarrassing this household with your dreams I thought she was rather hard on her I thought she could have gone harder Quiet I am your fabulous godmother Way you can make them more comfortable? No. Now, obviously, with a movie title like Cinderella, we all know the story of Cinderella. But do I assume from that trailer this is, is this set in modern times? No, it isn't. It's not meant to be, but it's got these kind of modern, kind of, it's got a kind of modern feel to it because that's what movies uh, tend to be these days when they look at films like this. They completely kind of rework it. I mean, the, you know, Cinderella has been made so many times in the past before. Uh, there was one just about five years ago, I think, which was directed by Kenneth Branagh and had Lily James in it. There that was, was beautiful. That, that was yeah. Beautiful but it was a very, very movie. traditional kind of working yeah. of the story. Um, this isn't. I mean, this is so much has happened since that film with the Me Too movement. And of course, nowadays, when you make something like this, um, look, it's a fantasy. So you can get away with, I think, having kind of modern kind of mores and feelings and attitudes and politics, I think. Um, you know, there are people who have referred to this as kind of the woke Cinderella. I've absolutely no problems with that uh, in any way, shape or form. I think it's perfectly fine because it is a, it's a fairy tale. It's a fantasy. So therefore, you could do whatever you want. I mean, it, the film is completely colorblind and there are a lot of kind of sexual politics um, uh, in the script. And again, but it's not thrown at you constantly. It's kind of worked kind of nicely into the script, even though the problem with the film is, is the script, really. It's uh, written and directed by Kay Cannon and it's her first film as a director and I think you know I think her lack of um, experience I think is constantly on show throughout this whole film 
And and that's a huge problem, I think. I mean, it's it's one of the most frustrating films I've seen in a very, very long time because it's equally terrible and equally brilliant at the same time, which is very, very frustrating. And I think that showed, and I think that's because uh, Kay Cannon, um, it showed her lack of experience, I think. I mean, with a really, really good experience to direct her uh, on this film, I think um, it, it would have been a much better film. I think it's, the film was too big for her. Um but having said that, we should point out this film was made during the start of super lockdown of last year. And so therefore the statistical kind of, you know, nature of, of the whole thing, it must have been very, very difficult for them, you know, to try and keep everybody safe and everybody happy. And so therefore, you know, you've got to give them credit for being able to produce something like this uh, during that kind of lockdown. The film was made on location in England. And the film, it has this kind of, it's got this beautiful look to it. And it, the film has some good songs, but some terrible songs. There are some good jokes, but there are some terrible jokes, and that's the problem. Every time you, you, you begin to enjoy a scene, every time a film is working, they kind of spoil it with trying to kind of produce kind of a joke or, or a piece of humor that just falls flat on its face. And that constantly happens all the time, which undermines your enjoyment of the film, and that's a terrible shame. Um, in, in a sense that um, it's not traditional in the sense that, for example, she doesn't play Cinderella. Her name isn't uh, Cinderella in this film. And like Corella, she wants to be a fashion designer. Uh, but of course, she lives with her evil stepmother, uh, here played by Adina Menzel. And the, the two... Um, uh, Ugly sisters? Yeah, but I, I didn't want to use that expression. The okay. reason is because they're not referred to that way, and okay. they're not ugly. And obviously, obviously, that's kind of a, a modern kind of opinion on, on how these films should be made. They don't want to kind of body shame anybody by calling them, and they're not ugly in in any way, shape, or form. And so, but there are they mean. What, they're mean girls, are they? Only up to a point. And okay. again, it's almost like the director and the writer here didn't want to go down that road. For example, and right. uh, she didn't want kind of women hating on uh, on each other in this film because it's, it's very much that kind of sexual politics where, you know, the men are all idiots and the women uh, are not. For example, the prince here has, has a sister. We've never had uh, him have a sister in the past and she's very kind of politically kind of motivated and, um, and that's the kind of thing we've never seen before. There's only one original song in the whole film. They do use a lot of cover versions here and they do it and they, they kind of lead into the film. It's very much similar in the way that, uh, say, Mamma Mia did. If you remember, uh, Meryl Streep will go, oh, I've got loads of bills to pay, and then she'll sing, yeah. <laughs> money, money, money. And yeah. they do that here as well. For okay. example, the prince, for example, is lonely, he can't find somebody to love. He will then go into the <laughs> Queen song, Somebody oh. to Love. If Nina Menzel turns to her, her daughters and says, oh, you must not marry for love, you must marry for money. And then she sings Material Girl from Madonna. Yeah, but you the see, Idina Menzel and everyone associates Idina Menzel with Frozen and, and Let It Go. I mean, are we are we likely to get a song from Idina Menzel that we'll all be singing in another five years from this movie? But the thing is, it, it, funny enough, that there's only one original song on the soundtrack, and that is from Idina Menzel. And she wrote the song herself as well. And it's a very, very, very good song. And she performs it. In fact, if anybody... Um, in this film is any good, it's Idina Menzel. I mean, she's head and shoulders above everybody here in this film. But you also got the impression that because the film at times seemed as if it was going to finish, it was almost like they got, they went, okay, we've got to have something for Idina Menzel at the end of the film. So therefore, she comes on and sings this song beautifully, by the way. And it's the same with uh, Pierce Brosnan and Minnie Driver as the King and Queen. It's almost like, again, they had to have their scene at the end of the film. So when you're thinking that the film is actually coming to an end, it just kind of goes on and it goes on and it goes on. 
and in the end it's a bit bit too long and it's a terrible shame because some of the dance sequences are wonderfully done and some of the songs work really really wonderfully there are times when it doesn't and some of the songs just like poorly um, filmed kind of um, kind of the videos for for pop songs uh, and they look as if they've been filmed on a kind of a, on, a, on an iPhone and that's a terrible shame and also uh, the three rats who are played here by Ramesh Rangathan, uh, James Corden and James Acaster, are so <laughs> underused because when they become themselves, um, you know, you're desperate to see more of them on screen. And there's one, there's only two jokes that work well in the film. One is from James Acaster, and I think it was an ad-lib. And the other is a kind of a running joke in reference to Pierce Brosnan because Pierce wants to sing throughout the whole film. <laughs> and people keep saying, no, we do not want you to sing, which is obviously in reference to Mamma Mia. And that's kind of good, funny. And that's kind of kind of funny. There's one brilliant um, scene with Billy Porter, who plays uh, the godmother here, and that's the scene where he visits uh, Camilla Cabello and says and and turns her into Cinderella and turns the the rats into humans and so on. And that's a beautiful sequence and it's a great song and he is great. And that, as I say, is the frustrating thing about the film because it's so clunky and so badly filmed at times. And yet there are times when you know. Uh, there are there are scenes of just pure joy in this film. It is really, really one of the most frustrating films I've seen in a very, very long time. And a super and duper cast. It's got a great well, but this is it. But the thing is, is that the script is so bad that they don't actually. They, there are times when you think that they're really terrible, and that's I think because of the script. If the script was better, then you know actors can only do so much with a bad script. Mm. And there are times when, yeah, yeah, the casting. I think is I think Camilla Cabello does okay. I think Nicholas. I think his name is Galatine, who plays the prince, is okay. Everybody apart from Adina Menzel and the three comedians are okay. Mm. And I think that's part. And I think that's I don't know maybe. Maybe because of COVID, or maybe just the talent isn't out there, uh, that uh, the casting uh, directors couldn't quite get it right and kind of basically said, okay, you know, they will do. And I think that's a shame. But look, as I say, it's so frustrating. If you love The Greatest Showman, I think you'll enjoy it very much. The costumes are beautiful. Uh, whoever did those, I think her name is Ellen Barajnik. She should get an Oscar. And that's what I mean. And that's why it was frustrating. It's, 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 it's brilliant and terrible at the same time. Okay. But I think if you love The Greatest Showman, and I think if you're and 10 years of age, And that type of music, yeah, that t- those type of music as you love it. Okay, Mark Cinderella out of 10? Uh, well, I watched it with the 20-year-old and my wife. Uh, my wife gave it four. Mm-hmm. My, my, my 20-year-old gave it 4.5. Uh, I seem to have enjoyed it more than they did. Um, I, I'll give it a six because six. it's equally okay. terrible and brilliant at the same time. And that's on Amazon, isn't it? It's an Amazon original movie. It's on Amazon Prime, yeah. Okay. okay, then Werewolves Within. This is based on, this is a video, wasn't this a video game? This is based on the video game, yeah, yeah, which my 20-year-old has played. So when it came to the film, she knew of this film before anybody else and uh, was constantly saying, look, you know, we need to watch this film. I was kind of thinking, do I really want to watch kind of a film called Werewolves Within? I'm not really sure if I want to or not. And she said, look, there's, there's, there's a talk about it and people are talking about it and, and that is much better than you might expect. And so I, I thought I was going to watch some kind of tacky horror movie. But in fact, it was completely the opposite to, to what I was expecting. Um, it's kind of a mix. I think they were looking for... Do you remember the Jack Black film, The House with a Clock in Its Walls? Yeah. It's kind of like... It was like a horror film for kids. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a mix between that and Knives Out, which kind of surprised me. Uh, because actually, with, there's very little kind of horror in this film at all. There's kind of one gory scene, which is, I presume, why the film got a 15 star. But I presume 
one of the reasons why the film didn't do so well is because they were targeting at teens who liked that Jack Black film, The House with the Clock on Its Walls, but also at the same time wanted the Knives Out audience as well. You know, your, your, your kind of Murder on the Orient Express kind of um, audience, and an older audience. And I think the older audience said, well, it's not for us, it's for kids. There wasn't enough gore and scares in it for, for teenagers. And I think that's why it kind of sadly kind of bypassed a lot of people, which is a terrible shame, because this is really clever, and it's really funny, and it's really, really good. And talk about kind of poor casting on Cinderella. You won't know anybody in this film, but the casting is excellent, and every single one of the actors uh, manages to portray not only kind of fear and uh, frustration, and uh, but it can also, you know, make you laugh and that is, is, is pure talent. And basically, when I say it's very much like um, uh, Knives Out, basically it's about a bunch of people who end up um, in a storm in a hotel, and within one of the group is a werewolf, and they have to try and find out which one it is. So that's when it becomes kind of Agatha Christie. And so therefore, all of the characters are very well, well written. It is really, really funny. And there's a, you know, the director has this kind of technique where uh, um, uh, characters appear from the end of the screen which is really funny and happens quite a lot. And there's a lot of laughs in this film. There's not too much gore, as I say, uh, even though it's got a 15 thread apart from maybe one scene. And I would say, actually, what I would say to people is that if you like Agatha Christie, if you liked Murder on the Orient Express, yeah. if you liked Knives Out, this is actually for you. Okay. I'm saying this to adults. Don't think that it's just for kids. It's like a kid's horror movie. It's not. It's very clever and very funny. And the, the two of us laughed and cheered and we, we loved it. Well done. Well done. And werewolves today in market out of 10? And well, we both gave a 10. Whoa. There you go. 10 out of 10 for werewolves within. Listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week. And we'll chat to you next week. That is uh, Mark Malone our uh, movie reviewer uh, the first movie was called Cinderella and the second one there Werewolves Within and that's where I wrap it up for today my thanks to Bernie Murphy who's been producing this week okay until Monday goodbye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks Italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about Quince they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe ethical and responsible manufacturing elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns hi I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. so I created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details